Progressive values are being challenged globally with right-wing governments getting out of fucking control by controlling women. These anti-feminist regimes want to take us back to when men were in caves and women were their property. Will the mainstream media eggs them on with think pieces to question our right to live how the fuck we want? And they think we're just going to take it up the ass? Bitch, please. Join us, your favorite intersectional feminist bitches, to bring the wrath of intersectional bitchdom to these misogynist, racist, ableist, anti-LGBTQ, anti-poor motherfuckers by joining the bad and bitchy movement on our Patreon, where you'll get real feminist news, real feminist takes, and a real fucking intersectional feminism. You will support not only our pod, but our work on initiatives like Orders Up, where we hold the restaurant industry to account for their culture of sexual harassment. Visit patreon.com forward slash bad and bitchy to support independent feminist media in this time of resistance. These people need to be held accountable by those who are not in their back pockets and trying to get into cocktail events with them. Stay bitchy, my friends. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And happy Thanksgiving. Amy is going to visit her fam. In Windsor, I assume. Yeah. Um, Erica and I are stuck in Ottawa. Yeah. Yay. That's fine. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erica, it's been another uh, fucking ridiculous week. Maddening. Uh, but it was also, like, very fun. It was busy. Oh, we did that uh, uh, event with the Guild I'm this week. <laughs> I'm literally exhausted. Yeah, actually, the Guild. Okay, so I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, but it was a really good conversation with the guild. Um, I didn't know. Okay. So here's the thing. Usually when entrepreneurs get together or female entrepreneurs, especially Mm. it's, it's very, um, what should I say? It's like, it's, it's very much like, Hey, you have a business. Oh, that's great. Let's be women together in business. And you're just like, <laughs> what the fuck? What does yeah, that mean? It means like, it's just very simplistic at times. And Ottawa also has a very dude bro culture in business too. Oh. And so it, it was nice to find like a middle ground, like a space where you can talk about real shit. Like, okay, so this is an issue because such and such happened and da 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 da. And I was talking with, um, is it Heather? Mm-hmm. And Heather and Heather and I had a good talk just about business and about direction, about, you know, stuff like that. So once we got on the panel, I was like, oh, I like this place. This is cool. So I felt really comfortable. I felt like it was a safe space. I was just going to say, it yeah. seemed like you felt like it was a safe space to be truthful and honest about what we were there to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was lots of fun. So, uh, and made me think about core values more. 
absolutely about my business core values and then bad and bitchy's core values although i kind of already like bad and bitchy's core values are pretty i think obvious and i think all you guys know that too yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah um one of our core values is swearing a lot so yeah whatever <laughs> yeah and we got to swear so i was happy <laughs> Um, just a little bit of housekeeping. We want to shout out our newest patron on our Patreon. So shout out to Robin. Um, so you can become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com slash bad and bitchy and uh, help us become better and bitchier, apparently, because <laughs> apparently we all need it. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and one more bit of housekeeping. Um, so we also hosted or helped host the Now What Ottawa mayoral debate this week. Yep. Jam-packed week for us. Yeah. And um, so we got that off the ground in large part through a Kickstarter that we ran. And we just want to shout out some of the supporters from that Kickstarter. So shout out to Susie Elwood, Mike Reynolds, Alex Hoslett, and Glynis Egan um, for your donations to help us uh organize that debate and get it all sorted out um you know that funding helped us with the space it helped us get um sign language so that we to make it as accessible for people as possible so thank you so much for your support and um yeah yeah you guys rock like i i was i was touched by the support yes and i honestly like I think I was I was even saying on Thursday I was like I didn't realize like this would become a thing yes like bad and bitchy would become a thing and subsequently now what would become a thing so you guys like give us real mojo to really like carry on and do what we do so I just wanted to shout out and just say thank you to all our listeners and to I mean whether you subscribe to our patreon or not hint um (laughs) but like do but do um you guys really make it worth you know being up at this hour all although it's only like 10 it's 10 (laughs) 10 o'clock in the morning on a saturday (laughs) but really like just doing the extra work we do and just Mm -hmm. doing the labor so bless is my point yeah and i think that um particularly with the kickstarter we never expect it to get as much funding as it did and so it's just so wonderful to know that there are people in ottawa and people outside of ottawa who support the kickstarter and who also support us as patrons um so we're very very thankful for that um also if you are interested in learning more about now what um and you do not live in ottawa visit the website it's now what ought n-o-w-w-h-a-t-o-t-t dot com um we do have a platform for um adding a gender lens to municipal and local politics um if you want to talk about how you can start integrating that in pushing that in your city please contact us and we will be happy to discuss how you can do that so uh erica are we ready to get started i'm ready <sighs> All right, so this week in feminism. Well, Erica, did you know that October 5th marked the one-year anniversary of the bombshell New York Times report from Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor that alleged sexual assault from Harvey Weinstein? 
Oh, it's been a year already. Oh my But God. also only a year? Yeah, I know. I know. So since the two women, since the the uh, the report, uh, women from across the continent have started sharing their stories of sexual assault and harassment and naming names. So basically, women have fucking had enough and men are paying the price. Uh, sort of. Um, the past year has seen pro- high-profile men fall from grace, lose their jobs, and in the case of Bill Cosby, go to prison. It has shown us that these men and others still don't understand why they're being pushed into exile. They don't understand why they've been fired or why they can't simply say sorry and hope that people will move on and forget. It's also shown us that holy fuck, is it still fucking hard to get people to just believe women in 2018. And this has been especially apparent during the recent Kavanaugh confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court in the United States when Christine Blasey Ford publicly publicly recalled her sexual assault on international television. The Republican senators doubled down on their support for Kavanaugh, and despite allegations from three women, decided that this was a coordinated Samir campaign meant to disparage a fine, upstanding family man. (laughs) I can't help but laugh at that bit. Image. Bill Cosby was a family man too. Okay, like literally on TV. You're like, yeah. Um, people who don't support the Me Too movement will likely say that it's failed or some other disparaging comments. But I don't personally think that's true. I think that change and progress are slow, especially when you're trying to change public opinion. But it can definitely feel like we are spinning our wheels at times. Erica, what are your reflections? You know, given this one year anniversary, do you think? We're we're making progress. Are you hopeful? Are you discouraged? Um. Okay, so I've mixed feelings. So on one hand, I am like in like enraged a lot. <laughs> I think. I, yeah, we mentioned this the other night. We just have like a very simmer, simmering underlying rage all the time. All the time. A little prickly feeling in your skin. Yeah. So that and it's it's. It's not only the perpetrators, it's the people who defend them. Like, really? Sometimes I just want to say, really, do you hear yourself? You are pretending as though the women, or what you're saying basically is that women who come forward are A, either liars, or B, they, well, that they're liars, basically. And that it's amazing how like how men have assumed not hashtag not all men um (laughs) have Mm. yeah have assumed this victimhood and it's a victimhood that they wear proudly but if you talk about actual actually living your life as a woman you are some sort of snowflake like it's it's bonkers to me it's shown me how how far we have to go and how you know even the millennial generation which i'm sure we'll talk about later is fucked in terms of yeah. attitudes and culture and but i guess on the other hand we just started this mm-hmm. i mean it doesn't feel like it uh, yeah it feels like this yeah i know if me too feels like it's 5 years old i swear but we just started this movement, really this Me Too movement, even though Tarana Burke's been 
you know, doing it for like a decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and has been doing that work. It's slow and painful and frustrating, but I also believe I have hope because I believe, first of all, I believe our generation's Fox though. We're going to have to start with the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just saying, but we definitely have become more aware in terms of how our culture prioritizes male um, men, basically. Yeah, I I was so... One of the things we talked about um, at the Guild event was Tarana Burke. Like, I briefly just brought her up. I was thinking about that and when I was saying it, yeah. I surveyed the room and said, how many people know that the Me Too movement was started by a black woman? And I would say seven hands out of 30 or so people put their hands up. Yeah, it was... I was shocked, Yeah, but not surprised, because you and I and Amy and the people we hang out with and interact with regularly live on the internet. Yeah. So we see, you know, pictures of her... We read about, oh, wait, this is the founder of the Me Too movement. It's not fucking Rose McGowan. Yeah. Or Uh, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. And so I think that there, I think there's privilege on both of those sides where like we're privileged with the information and they're privileged with ignorance. Yeah. Um, And we're privileged because of our age. Yeah. And our ability to live on the internet all yeah. the time. Yeah, we're we're digitally like engaged people. Yeah, and I think that there is a bit of a bit of a responsibility for people who listen to this podcast and who are that engaged to educate their parents, to educate people around them on those types of things, and just so they're not just like wander around blindly thinking that oh you know rose mcgowan's gonna save the day or Alyssa milano's gonna save the day and she went to the kavanaugh hearing and she oh she got arrested well great for her it just goes to show that there is a digital divide too yes so the people who are engaged in these movements whether it's black lives matter or uh, me too or whatever sort of round of 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 protests and movements that are happening Um, it's like I said at the event you have this is the water cooler of our time Mm -hmm. and we are divided generationally on that probably when television first the first 10 years of television or 20 or 15 years of television not everybody had a television and probably it's the same kind of thing but um, you have to be part of the conversation and you have to go to where the conversation is happening. Yeah. And the conversation is happening online. It's particularly happening on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Instagram is probably a close second. I think. Yes. I surprisingly. Think, but yes. I, I think Instagram has really picked up the um, the the whole sort of movement engagement. There are people who have really deftly. Um, stack their Instagram and and really use those core values. See, we're back to core values. Um, and used that as their platform. Mm-hmm. So, and Facebook, well, eh, I don't know. Facebook, 
Facebook is a bad measurement of things like a broad range of things that are happening. I use Facebook particularly to see what things have trickled down to quote unquote mainstream. Oh, I see. Yeah. So like what it, what is the normal person talking about? What's my mom talking about? Right. Right. Because I find Facebook much more multi-generational. Yes. Yes. That's a good point. That that's true. Facebook is is the general store, right? Yeah. Twitter is the water cooler. Yeah. I haven't figured out what Instagram is yet in terms of my analogies, but yeah. um a lot of people aren't on Twitter too. So mm-hmm. So there's, there's all there and things change so rapidly that there are all these things that are happening. And then, um, a lot of people just miss them because they're not engaged on Twitter and Twitter is a steep learning curve. I get it, but you know, that's where the breaking news happens. That's where it's not breaking on NBC anymore. Well, it kind of is, but not really. (laughs) For example, um, and the digital publications are the ones that are now breaking stories. So I didn't know that it was the intercept that broke the Christine Blasey Ford story mm-hmm. or, or first talked about it. The intercept is not an, a traditional news media outlet. It is more is born of the digital mm-hmm. age. So if you're not reading the intercept, the root, um, even BuzzFeed breaks some news, the you Atlantic. know, the Atlantic, those kinds of, of, of publications that are primarily digital, then you're also missing a lot of the yeah. conversation and a lot of the explanation because it's hard to get the explanation on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So there's, there really is a hodgepodge of sources of, of digital that you kind of have to be engaged in. And we just are. Yeah. And I think we've always been. Yeah. Because we've always been looking for that kind of conversation. The conversation and just like hungry for more information. Yeah. A general kind of curiosity. And then they're the ones who really pulled, I would say, mainstream media into the idea of talking about um, sexual violence, Hmm. talking about um, race, gender, LGBTQ plus because the writers of those publications come from those communities, Mm -hmm. whereas in traditional media, they do not. Yeah. So. So what. um, Why do you think it's just been so difficult to get a lot of people to. I don't want to use the words buy in, but I'm going to use them Mm -hmm. to buy into the idea of believing women and why that should be kind of a default um believing i think that unfortunately we are attuned in our culture to well first of all you know a a man's word carries weight you know um i remember being you know, in meetings and I, I would say something and then, you know, like Ethan, (laughs) who's like two levels below me would say basically the same thing. And Mm -hmm. he had the brilliant idea. Yep. I fucking hate those guys. Oh my gosh. Okay. And they already know they're just waiting for you to say something so that they can like 
parrot it and get all the credit. And we in our daily lives, we defer to men in so many ways that we are not aware of. Actually, I'm glad we're talking about this because this is the reason I'm like, why do you keep putting men on feminist panels I, or, or, or gender equality panels? I hate it. And it's because a man, the space a man takes up is so great that, you know, for us to even get a word in edgewise or even to be believed after that um, is, is an uphill battle. I honestly didn't know, I didn't think I was that smart for a long time because that feedback wasn't given. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I thought I was dumb. I'm just saying that I didn't realize It wasn't reinforced to you that your your ideas and your contributions were valuable. Were valuable, exactly. So then that was an imprint. I internalized it and it was an imprint on me. Like now I know better. So I'm like, you start a podcast and get 20,000 downloads, motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Like now that now, like, I feel like I have the cre- I have the the work and the credit to back it up. Mm-hmm. So when I walk into a room, I, you know, especially if we're talking about digital or whatever, I'm just like, mm-hmm, OK, yeah, you're going to tell me something I don't know. Cool. OK, we'll see what that is. Sure. You know, Mm -hmm. so I, I think that we internalize it so much that uh, we don't even realize as women how much we play the quote unquote cool girl. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I thought about when, when we were putting together this episode, I thought a lot about Gone Girl, Mm. that movie. And I thought a lot about, you know, being the cool girl. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's me. Like, I've done that. Like, I've definitely done that. I think I do it less now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. The other thing, too, is this podcast has, like, opened my eyes to so many things. And I was already a willing participant, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot over, like, the last two years or whatever just because of this podcast just because we have to talk about these things and 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 you know and really separate them and and stuff like that had I not been exposed to this so often I would not have been where I am Hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. are you are you continually surprised when you meet someone in real life and they like don't really believe in the me too movement or they think that men are victims. No, because I see it on the internet. (laughs) I mean, I guess, but like I, I feel like I am only because I feel like internet people and real people are like I in my brain at their different things. Because I find like oh, people on the internet just awful and horrific, and those people just like sit on the internet all day, and they don't live live in real life. I mean, obviously that's a false thing, but like they I fe- seem separate. I feel like the internet is where everybody can unload all their shit, mm-hmm. and so you know what they won't tell you in real life, they'll tell you on the internet. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So when I actually meet people who are like, 
well, don't you think it's gone too far? It's like, oh, my God, here we go. You know yeah. what I mean? That's more my reaction is that it's like, oh, you're one of those. Yes. And I think that there, I, I get the, those interactions for sure. I, I've been in those situations. Absolutely. And I think I'm just like, cool. Like, we're not going to talk about this anymore because this is just a, we're just not going to do it. And I'm fine to just like leave it and like make that mental note. Mm-hmm. Have you had that re- re- like that experience lately? Literally last night. Really? Tell. It was awful. So give my, us the context. I went to a friend's house um, for dinner, and then I went and met um, some guy friends at the bar to watch baseball playoffs. Okay. Yes, because you're a big baseball fan. Yes. Right. And so we went to the bar we usually go to, and. Um, the bar manager or the bar owner, I don't remember which he is, um, came in, he went at the Ottawa Red Blacks game and he had been drinking and was fine. And we're watching baseball and I'm with my friends, we're drinking beer and I just want to sit and watch baseball and like talk about baseball. And there's like a break in the action. Oh my God. That's literally what they say on MLB TV for this break in the action. Um, that's a real niche comment joke. Cool. Um, I get that. No, <laughs> um, he starts. This guy starts talking about the Kavanaugh hearings, and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, he, this guy shouldn't be on the Supreme Court." But like, I, I see, I, I'm in the middle on the whole issue. And I was like, "What do you mean you're in the middle? <laughs> What's the middle? <laughs> I, how are you in the middle?" He's like, "Well, you know, like she." says he raped her and he says he didn't and like no one knows whether or not he raped her and like you can't rape someone when their clothes are on and the guys and i'm just like oh no fuck and like being a woman i am very familiar with this like sort of conversation so i'm just like we're just not gonna i'm gonna say one thing and we're we're not gonna gonna engage i'm gonna leave it and that'll be fine because i'm watching baseball because i just don't want to have to deal with this yeah but i'm with three men four men and they're like what do you mean they're like no like he he didn't he tried to rape her and like you know he that's that's still that's not rape but it's still assault and it's all of these things and he's like well that shouldn't disqualify him from the court like i think he's a piece of shit i don't think that he should be on the court but like he didn't rape her He's like, so he's like, she can't even remember. She like doesn't even know. And like all of these things. I was like, cool. Like, um, she didn't say he raped her. Um, so we're just, he, he doesn't know. And he had some alcohol abuse problems, but he didn't have any alcohol abuse problems. Like he like, no one, no one saw that he raped her. I'm like, okay, cool. Awesome. And then we kind of move on from the conversation. And of course, the men not being familiar with these types of things keep kind of bringing it up. Oh fuck! Un- like unintentionally, they're like trying to like have like a a well-meaning debate, and I'm like, this isn't a well-meaning debate because they're mis- they're uninformed. So how can they have a well-meaning debate? Well, like the gu- like the guys I was with were like new, like believed her and like okay, whatever, and like we're very supportive of okay. her, but like okay. Not being used to these types of conversations, they oh, they don't okay. know that okay. this is a losing battle. My bad, good men. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you to my friends. Yes. Um, so, I figured you wouldn't be hanging out with any other type. So, 
Not on purpose. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have that moment where you're like, ah! you know, where the record scratches yeah. and you're just like, did, are you, are we, I have to rethink our relationship yeah. right now. Anyway, go on. So it got, we go back and watch the game and then he, the, the guy comes back, leaves, he comes back. Why is he coming back? We're, we're sitting right by the bar. So he's like going and talking to someone else and coming back and will not drop the issue. Will not drop it. And he's like, no. He's like, he should not be on the court because of his temperament. He's like, but he said he did not rape her. And she said he did. And there is no proof because no one saw him rape her. I was like, I stood up so fast. I got three inches from his face and I yelled at him at the top of my lungs. There was no one else in the bar. And I just yelled, no. I was like, he, I'm like, she never used the word rape. I'm like, she said sexual assault. I'm like, sexual assault is sexual touching without consent, which means you do not have to take a person's clothing off. And then there was a, someone hit a home run. <laughs> And I just stopped yelling. The guys were like, cool, sit down now. <laughs> and I was yelled. I've never yelled in someone's face like that. And he was just like trying to like come back at me. And I was like, I will die on this hill. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're lucky that a home run was hit because I probably would have thrown my beer on his like in his face. And then it just kind of like diffused a bit and then it kept coming back and I was like, I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Finally got to the point and I was like, well, the game's over. He's not letting this go. Um, I'm going to, I went to the bartender and he was just like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please take my money. I need to leave now. <laughs> I was like, take all of it. Just take, <laughs> just all take of my, my money. money. I need to go. He's like, yep. Yep. Have a good evening. I was like, Wow. Wow. It, it it always surprises me that they can't let that shit go. Like, he, was like, he was like, she doesn't remember where it happened. I'm like, there's a fucking map that shows where it happened. The Literally, the prosecution, not the prosecution, but like the lawyer that the Republicans hired, Mitchell? Sure. Yes, I think she so. She had a map that said, this is where you were. This is where you live. This is where you worked. Yeah. Yeah. There's a literal map. Yeah. Don't say she didn't know. And and don't tell me about like him like and the and oh well he didn't have a drink. He had drinking like this dude was drinking like a fish. Like come on. He's like, "Well, you haven't you been drunk?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've been drunk." That doesn't mean that you sexually assault somebody. Where does being drunk give you cover to sexually assault someone? He said it was because he didn't remember. I'm like, no, but he also had like a propensity of like blacking out and not remembering things. And what about the other two women? Don't they count? Like, this is the other thing. It's not a he said, she said. It's a he said, they said. Mm. And I mean, you know, first of all, as I said before, granted, this is not a court of law, but it's a job interview. On what job interview can you be accused of sexual assault and then still get the job? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, 
you say the wrong thing. You you mispronounce somebody's name and they're like, nope. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like let's put the let's actually put the context around this that is yes. proper. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, this is somebody who has shown that he cannot be impartial because he obviously has a problem with women. Absolutely. But like this guy, he kept saying, well, I, I'm on both sides. I agree. I agree with him that he doesn't remember, but I also agree that he's unfit because of his reaction to, whole, to the whole thing. I'm like, oh, so you it's can't his reaction. Have both sides. I know. So and his reaction gives him cover. I'm tired of these. Oh, well, you know this. I'm with you. But there's a lot of. Yeah, you're men. either with us or you're not. You There's no there's no um, there's no but. Exactly. There's no situation in which like, oh, like I'm with you on this issue, but not this one. Yeah, exactly. You, no, you don't get to have it any and all ways. Oh, somebody unfriended me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just I just noticed that. Like, oh, oh, um, what did you think this was? But it's also, <laughs> the, the whole Kavanaugh thing, I think, is also kind of brought issues between like partners you know like uh, i was talking to a woman earlier this week and she said you know my husband he you know believed brett kavanaugh and didn't believe ford and she was like that really upset me and like we had a big fight about it and she said you know i was in high school and i got roofied yeah and i don't know what happened yeah she's like i don't i'm just like i'm I don't think I was assaulted because like my body didn't feel like it had been assaulted in the days after. She's like, but I don't, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Can you imagine like living, like, like carrying that around and she had the back of your mind. And so she told her husband that story and she hadn't told him before. And she's like, well, do you believe me? And he's like, well, yeah. So then why not? Then why not her? Yeah. I have to say, through this whole Kavanaugh thing, I'm glad that me and my ex aren't dating anymore mm. because I might have, like, homicided his ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I I, I really am glad. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Because I'm not sure which side this would have come out on. Yeah. And I couldn't feel comfortable being... First of all, I wouldn't... I wouldn't feel comfortable being intimate with someone like that and because everything for me everything's tied Mm. um but that's me yeah i'm not making judgments on others sure right because i get how you're just like especially if it's your husband you're just like but i married you yeah and how come i didn't know this before you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think that this kind of thing and like i understand how difficult that must be so i'm sorry for that for that woman who was roofied and stuff but definitely um she this would be more of a call-in thing Mm -hmm. um so i'm glad about that but yeah i think that there are a lot of discussions happening with a lot of couples and it had to be done because men assume certain things about us and I am just floored at how many women, how many of us have stories. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all have a story. Like I have a story of almost being raped, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
it was a long time ago maybe about 12 years ago or like whatever but Mm. um like my sort of I think my life would have been much different had that had had it happened and so um you know I I think that the way I think of of men and dating and and all of and relationships and the way I interact with them has really for me come under scrutiny my own scrutiny yeah it's self-imposed scrutiny because I'm like am I trying to be that cool girl yeah yeah Yeah, it's hard to find someone who you can just like truly just like be yourself with yeah and not like feel like you need to live up to that kind of like weird yeah persona yeah exactly thanks for that gone girl yeah <laughs> no i i'm like i'm like is it on netflix because <laughs> i feel Look, like it's I'm, a good movie i need i feel like i need to watch it again okay so let's move on um as you all know i love a poll she loves a poll. <laughs> um but i was really interested in this one um it's a new poll of u.s millennials from buzzfeed news um, and it finds that nearly half of millennial Democrats identify as democratic socialists or socialists. Um, but the poll also showed deep gender divides among millennials across a, ra- across a range of political questions. Fuck my life. So on socialism, millennial men were much more likely than women to call themselves call themselves a socialist or democratic socialist with 39% of all men saying that they'd identify that way compared to 22% of women. 48% of Democrats said that they'd call themselves either a socialist or democratic socialist compared to 31% of all millennials. And overall 24% of millennial Democrats said it would not make a difference to them if a candidate for political office was referred to as a socialist. Uh, 37% of millennial men said it would make them more likely to vote for the candidate compared to only 19% of millennial women. On political engagement, men were also more likely than women to say that they've been directly involved in politics since 2016, whether attending a political rally for a candidate, giving money to a campaign, or participating in a protest. Protest. That's not a word. (laughs) Uh, It reminds me of prostate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even with the massive women's marches across the country in 2017, just 15% of millennial women said that they'd participated in a protest or demonstration since the 2016 election compared to 22% of men. And those numbers were about even between Republicans and Democrats at 24 and 21% respectively. On the candidates they would support for office... 37% of millennial men said that they would prefer a male candidate compared to 16% of women who said that they would prefer a woman. 59% of all millennials said a candidate's gender doesn't matter, including 68% of women. About one-third of all millennial men said that they would prefer a white political candidate. Oh, my life. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Only 11% of women had the same belief. That question also comes with a major partisan divide. 42% of Republicans said that they would prefer a white candidate compared to 22% of Democrats. And while 51% of millennials said that it wouldn't matter to them if a candidate was straight or gay or any other LGBTQ um, identifier, 
though a slim majority of men said that they would prefer a heterosexual candidate. 25% of of Democratic millennial people, sorry, 25% of Democratic millennials believe people over 65 are too old to run for president and 22% believe people over 70 are too old. Fuck yes. Uh, This uh, barometer would rule out Bernie Sanders, who is now 77, Elizabeth Warren, who is 69, Joe Biden, who is 75, and Michael Bloomberg, who is now 76. Michael Bloomberg should 100% not run for president. No, not him. Mr. Uh, Stop and Frisk. On uh, on Donald Trump, um, while millennials were far more likely to disapprove of how President Donald Trump has handled his job than approve, 52% versus 34%, Women disapproved at higher rates of 62% than men at 42%. Millennials were also most likely to say that they were bothered by Trump's family separation policy at the border, 71%. His tweets, 66%. The way he talks about Hispanic and black people, 68%, which is shockingly high to me. Uh, A little sliver of hope. Uh, His handling of the hurricane in Puerto Rico, 65%. And how he talks about the wall and approaches to neo-Nazis, the alt-right, and white nationalists at 64% each. So, Erica, are there any other numbers that surprise you or don't surprise you? (sighs) (laughs) Where shall I start? I love that 42% of... What is it? Is it 42% of millennial males Oh, of Republican millennial males are just outright white supremacists. I love mm. that. You know. Um, uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, you know, I, I remember that people were telling me, oh, millennials, they're just so much more progressive. They're, we're going to save the world. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, bitch. <laughs> Just because they like their gay friends, their gay white friends, does not make them more progressive, okay? Because, you know, no. So, w- gay white male friends, by the way. Um, One third of millennial men said that they would prefer a white political candidate. And 37%, so 36% said that. 37% of millennial men said they would prefer a male candidate. How, what, how, what do you think is the probability that it's the same men? I think probably very good. Yeah. Okay. So there. I will say, like, it's important to note that that is millennial men writ large, not Democratic or Republican. Yeah. Which is even more disturbing so it's it in, that would include those 42 percent of male republicans who said that they would prefer a white yeah candidate yeah yeah oh <laughs> sorry 42 percent of republicans in general yeah and 22 of percent of democrats i'm like oh yay and yeah, yeah. um yet 51 percent said it wouldn't matter to them if a candidate were straight or LGBTQ. Interesting. I am, I find that really interesting. I also want to kind of call bullshit on it. Mm-hmm. Only because I, I don't know. I think there is like, like white men, like, travel in in a tribe in their like Mm. their own tribe so i feel like the and this has been interesting to me about the lgbtq movement and how far it's come and i think it's come very far 
if you're white and privileged, I think it's come very far. Yeah. You know, if you look at if you look at pride and you look at like TD um, in TD Bank sponsors mm-hmm. pride in Canada or in Ontario, I would say probably Ontario. I don't know. Toronto, definitely. And, and Ottawa. There is this image of the gay lawyer that they like to use, the mm. gay white lawyer. So it's like, oh, well, he's still one of us. You know, he just, you know, is not going to compete with us for women. You know, it's like, yeah. I feel like it's that attitude. Okay. It's like a protectionist thing. It, yeah. Ish. ish. It's like, he's still one of us. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas... If you're a woman or if you're, well, if you're LGBTQ of color. Yeah. Or if you're trans. Oh, God, no. Mm -mm. Mm. So I feel like that is, and that's, that's something that I've noticed. And, um, yeah. I will say that I think that the way that the American system is structured means that those intersections of people are will be more successful than they would in canada Ooh, explain because you know you've got a primary system where you've got like three or four democrats or republicans running for the candidacy to be the candidate in a given district right so you've got four people you've got let's say a straight white man a hispanic woman a black woman and a trans person Mm mm-hmm and let's say the trans person has the backing of, I mean, this would probably never happen, the backing of, like, the G, the Democratic, the DCCC, mm-hmm. the Democratic um, Party, like, can- yeah. congressional, whatever. Uh, yeah. What is it? Congressional candidate something. Anyway, they give money to candidates and endorse candidates. Right. And... Without that endorsement, maybe that trans candidate wouldn't have, they end up winning. Mm -hmm. So with that endorsement, it helps elevate their profile. Right. And that means that in the general election, you've got a trans candidate running against, I don't know, some white male Republican candidate. Right. And so they're more likely to get elected. Oh. Then in Canada, where you've you've got like a multi-party system, where you've got your liberal, your conservative, your NDP, your Green Party Whatever. And the riding associations are the ones that choose the candidates to run. Yeah, the riding yeah. associations choose the candidates, but also you vote more on party. Like, people Par- are more divided by party and will vote more based on party. Whereas, like, when you only have two parties mm-hmm. and you're a Democrat, you're voting, likely voting for the Democrat unless you, like, are more centrist and you could vote for a Republican. That's interesting because... You know, we always think that because we have more parties, we have more choice. And that's not necessarily true if, if you know, based on that. So, for example, the parties decide who they're going to run in a certain riding. And then, you know, and how that process c- comes about and how it's done is, is it's not very um, transparent, And so you get a lot of the same type of candidates because of who the riding association thinks can win. But I feel like in the United States, you can run Mm -hmm. even as a Democrat or Republican 
and the people choose the people choose their representative their person whereas i feel like we vote among party lines more. yeah and it's some someone that the party's already deemed that they think should be running right so in other words it's more a controlled process i guess here mm-hmm. that's that's a good point actually that's a good point i never thought of it that way but yeah yeah so like i think these numbers like are what people probably feel in their quote-unquote hearts mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that like when it push comes to shove if there's a trans person running against a white male it's possible they could vote for the white male and they would go against their like party so okay so on that on that note is that why we see more um candidates from marginalized communities so trans candidates black candidates um hispanic candidates lgbtq plus candidates running it seems like they're more of of those candidates in the states and even in places that you would think are would never elect like Georgia, you mm-hmm. know, even in places where you would think would never elect those those candidates. Probably. Hmm. So Canada's not as open. Yeah, because like people so like I think you're talking about like Stacey Abrams yeah. in Georgia, right? Like And of course, um Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Ocasio Cortez and the the trans woman in North Carolina, I think. Mm. I forgot her name. Um but yeah. North Carolina North Cara fucking Lina, okay? Yeah. I just I just wonder hmm. You know what I mean? I I just wonder yeah. how how probable that is in Canada. Yeah. Or in our system. Yeah, I don't I don't hmm. think like I think, you know, provincially we saw Lyra Evans run as yeah. uh, a trans candidate at the provincial level, um, just, you know, a block away, not a, literally a block away, but like in the next riding. Mm-hmm. And we had her on the pod. And, you know, that's not something you see with all the parties in Canada. And you don't even see that in all provinces or honestly, regularly. Right. There are very few trans candidates. Right. And I don't know if that's because, one, they're not seeking office and working with the parties or if they or if they're just not being selected. Um, Probably a little. Uh, probably both. Yeah. Um, I, ju- I think that writing association process is, is where the answer is. Mm. Because they seem to hold they hold the purse strings, too. And, you know, they decide who's going to run where, whereas they you're right. In America, they have primaries Mm -hmm. and that's it's it's seems to me more democratic that way to have those primaries because you can have people as much as, you know, these, you know, you can have the Tea Party types come out of the woodwork. You can also have on the other side more social Democrats. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, I also think this survey um, highlights the the gender disparity between women and men who approve of Donald Trump. Hmm. And honestly, men can't be trusted. They're trash. 42% of men <sighs> say that 
they disapproved of Donald Trump. Fuck right off. 42%? 42%. Good God. 20 points lower than women. Good God. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know what that means? That means they don't care if your right to choose gets taken away. They don't care that they're eroding voting rights. They don't care about any of the things that we think are important. Mm. You know, you know, okay, so do you watch Behind the Scenes? No. With Trevor Noah? No. Okay, like the clips on, I usually get them off Facebook. I don't watch Trevor Noah. Okay. So... Trevor Noah, in his behind the scenes, talked about how Trump weaponizes victimhood mm-hmm. and how he basically flipped the, flips the script on victimhood to and weaponizes it to, you know, um, he did it for Kav- it, it was in the context of Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Great. Fine. Perfect. Um, but it's a really interesting uh look at how sort of this like how language has flipped the script and made the people who are traditionally in power victims Mm. it allows them to be victims which means that they can get rid of all of their guilt their their fragile guilt and be like no Men are the victims, which is the same thing as usual. It happens in the black community first, which is mm-hmm. the same thing that white people do to black people with this reverse racism thing. It's it's a shield so that they don't have to be responsible or do that work to look inward or to see things differently. They can be ignorant and be fine. Yeah. So I think that's going on, too. And it gives men cover for all of their shitty behavior Mm -hmm. towards women. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I have it posted on my Facebook and, um, yeah, I, I encourage people to give it a a shot or a, a look because here's the thing. I feel like in a way we are, we, as the resistance sometimes plays checkers while the other side plays chess. Mm-hmm. And I that. yeah. And we don't understand what is being done in terms of, um, in terms of the way the arguments are presented and what the purpose of those arguments is, because we think we can just change hearts and minds and everything will be Okay. And it's like, no, there's a system behind this. And there's there's rhetoric behind this to prop up a system, to prop up the status quo. And all decorum has gone out the window. So, you know, we can stop with the pearl clutching. Um, and, you know, we're bringing knives to gunfights. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else you want to add about this uh, poll? Let me see this poll. <laughs> um, okay. 
So 64% disapprove of the wall and his approach to neo-Nazis and white nationalists. I was just like, oh my God, really? <laughs> Only 64%? Like, can it be 80? That's all I'm asking for. Mm. Can it not be 80%? And again, it's that reverse yeah. racism approach to defining and contextualizing issues too. Uh. Mm. not always I think go ahead I think it I don't disagree with that I think that it's a lot of unintended racism yeah because I know people who voted in the Quebec election this week for the CAQ which is the very conservative oh. party that wants to make wearing public servants wearing very obvious religious symbols as part of their like as quote unquote mandated by their religion and not choosing to making that illegal. And so someone I know voted for them and his logic was, you know, well, I I'm a conservative voter and I like that there was a conservative, a legit conservative option in the provincial election in Quebec and so I voted for them based on that. You know, they want to do all of these things that I agree with as a conservative. And someone pointed out, oh, but well, what about all of the racist stuff they want to do towards Muslims and minority groups and all of these things? And he says, well, um, that doesn't apply to me. Oh, I was just going to say. Because he's white. Yeah. I was just going to say, oh, that's not your problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I think that some of these numbers could be a reflection of that type of thinking mm. it was like it's not my problem someone else is gonna have to deal with that mm. i think there are a lot of people who who quote unquote aren't racist but then do racist things like that because they can't think outside of themselves i would agree i would definitely agree with that yeah you know, now I'm like, do I bring up this story? <laughs> um, yeah, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of sticking your head in the sand, a lot of mm -hmm. ostriching yeah. going on. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then they're, they're like, oh, we're not racist. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's like lying, lying by omission. Like om omission is still a lie. Yeah. Right. So, you know, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like the opt-in form. If you don't opt in, you're kind of on the other side there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So did the, you, now my question is, I haven't heard much about the CAQ on women and no. women's issues. No. That's something I have not heard of. No. However, it, it, it is always part of the package. Oh, yeah. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. Well, they'll, first of all, they'll take rid of all of the, oh, they'll handle all of the Muslims and then come the women. Yeah. We're yeah. next. Yeah. Because by then they've already co-opted the language and they've already gained support, enough support where they're like, where they can do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that, you know, um, the whole first they came for my neighbor thing and, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't say anything and da, da 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 And then they came for me and, and there was nobody left. 
that's exactly it. It's a very old playbook that apparently, because we don't teach history anymore, nobody learns. Yeah. It's it's very it's very old. Nothing's new. It's just repurposed and rebranded. Yeah. That's it. These aren't innovative thinkers. Speaking of innovative thinkers, okay. <sighs> <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell. Apparently the New Yorker Festival that mm-hmm. we had talked about on a previous episode. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, um, I don't know what's wrong with Malcolm Gladwell. Um, he really irks me. And this is the thing. So Malcolm Gladwell kicked up, kicked off the New Yorker festival by delivering a 45 minute lecture about why it's important to have discussions with people you disagree with. Gladwell was filling in the spot left vacant by the cancellation of David Remnick's conversation with Steve Bannon. I agree with the premise. Yes, talk to people who you disagree with, but... Gladwell, now engaging in a Q&A session, this is all on Twitter, says he was, quote, annoyed, unquote, by controversy around Bannon appearing at the New Yorker Festival because the festival is where ideas are supposed to be challenged. He notes that the audience is educated and can elevate ideas for themselves. This is like what they call a red herring argument Mm. to me because we just talked about the 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 flipping the script and the recontextualizing of language to support the status quo the idea that well it's everybody for themselves and they can figure it out for themselves is just not good enough mm-hmm. and this this equating steve bannon okay steve bannon doesn't have ideas he has hate okay first of all mm-hmm. these are not ideas they're emotional reaction to somebody's supremacy being taken away. That's not an idea. It's an emotional reaction. So this I- this thing that Steve Bannon is some idea factory is something that's perpetuated by white people and it drives me insane. Now, secondly, Bannon, like, he's annoyed. Who the fuck is he to be annoyed because people don't want to see a pay pay money? This is not this is not like we're leaving him out of the political process. People actually didn't want to pay money to see him. So how is that an annoyance to you? Like that is the most privileged shit. I mean, it is, it is just way out. And then the, these ideas are supposed to be challenged. They're not ideas. Okay. It is just spreading fear and hate. Mm -hmm. And so this equalization of Nazi of 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 neo Nazi propaganda is very very troubling to me. Mm, yeah, okay, yeah, and I think that like the premise that you know engage with people who you disagree with, absolutely. But you both have to be coming from a place of good faith, right? Right. That is the fucking. There has point. to be a good faith discussion and good faith argument, and that's not Steve Bannon. Sorry, it's not good faith. And it has to he's come. Not, he's, there's no way you're going to change his mind. That's right. And that's the whole point of like these types of things is like to convince someone to see something from a different perspective. And 
with someone like that, you're just not going to. Exactly. So why do we why do we feel that it's necessary to give these these viewpoints a platform that is equal to a variety of viewpoints that can actually be debated? Like why mm-hmm. why is it so important to give them legitimacy? I still cannot understand why this is so important. I and and every media outlet does it. Well, let's hear from the other side. Yeah, because you're white. So it doesn't it goes back to the well, it doesn't affect me. Like it's all yeah. connected. So, you know, I mean, this and then of course, then they say, "Oh, see, the and liberals do this a lot and i'm thinking of bill maher especially by the way who had steve bannon on his show talking about debating ideas and i'm just like you're not even that smart like (laughs) he's not that bright first of all yeah and you know how dare how dare people on the left not listen to like steve bannon um how dare school people protest against him coming to their school what the fuck is that i i just people can protest whatever the hell they fucking want why why do we have to swallow why why is it that we have to swallow neo-nazi propaganda that's my question i'm i'm sick of this shit i really am because i'm one of those people who's like no i don't have to listen to this garbage because it's garbage yeah yeah absolutely Okay, that's my rant. Thanks. <laughs> Stay tuned to Rent and Receipts. Now we're moving on to Rent and Receipts. This is where we each bring a story and uh, either rant about it or share it with the other. And uh, yeah, you know, we just continue bullshitting our way through life. Hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, so my rent and receipts is kind of twofold. Um, so we're going to talk about white women today. And I know, I know, some people might think that I shit all over white women. I mean, I do sometimes. I do agree. Sometimes. Okay. So, um, but there are some of you who I love. So there i have white friends <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> love you um very well played i like that I, I thank you thank you very much um i have to turn my rage into humor sometimes just so i can you know get it through it so um but it's it's really i'm i'm trying to answer the question which is how do women, <clears throat> white women, um, and black, to be honest, black women do the same thing within the community because the amount of black women I've seen cape for Bill Cosby, I'm just like, seriously? By the way, um, I saw R. Kelly, R. Kelly's ex-wife was on The View yesterday. Ooh. Yeah. Some tea there. Oh my, oh, I, I by the time, and like by the time she and she ended her speech because she she told her story i was in tears oh my god uh, yeah so i retweeted it on bad and bitchy but i i was like yo this is a trigger warning for sure anyway that's an aside the point is is that let's just say why is it that women 
support against their own interests as women and, you know, support men like Kavanaugh. And I will extend this to Bill Cosby. Right. So um, there were a couple of pieces that I stitched together to answer this question. So this week we learned that in the GOP, or sorry, this week we learned that women in the GOP seem to think that it's very common for men to commit sexual assault. And so, you know, that CNN clip showing various GOP women talking about Kavanaugh and one remarked, what high school boy didn't do this? Ew, like that could be your son. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so these women appear to be engaged in a campaign to make everything worse for themselves and other women, it, which is counterintuitive, right? So for these women, the way they have worth is to exist in relation to a man. Then one way you ensure that you are well-liked by men is to set your expectations of male behavior so low they're, exen- they're essentially non-existent. So doing so indicates that men who, are, who hold the power um, can totally come out and hang with you because you're fun, i.e., a cool girl. Not like those mean feminists who hate men. I'm sensing a theme in today's podcast. Yes. Yes. I I should rewatch Gone Girl, like seriously. See, but here's the problem with that logic is that misogynists turn on cool girls. They will eventually turn on you. So if you have that, it's not my problem thinking because either a it doesn't happen to me or i'm not a victim or whatever then basically you are it they will turn on you right if a man thinks that most women are crazy lying bitches but you're cool that's not a compliment it's a warning to stay in line so this piece it was in harper's bazaar which was bizarre in itself um uh but i it went on to talk about how brett kavanaugh oh sure he likes women he likes submissive women anyhow a woman rises up out of her place she needs to be beaten down in and kept in line in some way and that's what rape does or sexual assault does that is the whole sort of when we say it's about power, that's what we mean. It's power to keep women in their place, in line. Okay, so on the other, so you're probably like, okay, so this is the GOP. Of course, it's like Republican women because they're basically Stepford wives, right? I know, I know. Um, I'm not making that characterization. I'm just saying that that may be the characterization that one may you know, make themselves feel better with. Okay. So Andrea Grimes, who is, I would say, uh, one of the most, one of the more vocal uh, women's advocates and abortion advocates on Twitter, um, writes, she wrote a piece, and I love this piece. Um, She said, 
that white women feel betrayed and enraged by the impending outcome of the Kavanaugh hearings. And here's what she wrote. I feel, I hear and feel this rage. I recognize the sense of betrayal because I am a white woman who was raised to believe that my white womanhood would protect me. That white men would validate and appreciate me if I behaved in certain respectable ways, looked a certain kind of beautiful, laughed a certain kind of laugh, that I could rely on being believed and valued if I would cheerfully wear the silky slip of whiteness under everything else and that my government, my good, kind, white patriarchs, would give me what I needed and bestow upon me the freedoms I deserved. It is only as I have begun trying to unlearn these conceits of white femininity that I have started to see this feeling of betrayal for what it is. Indignation at the unmet expectations of white privilege. Damn. Yeah, that was deep, eh? Yeah, I, I I agree. Like, I think that this whole thing is so deeply entrenched. Like, if you were on Twitter yesterday following along Susan Collins's, the senator from Maine, and her 45-minute diatribe and, like, fucking exercise and self-importance as she announced the way she would be voting in this confirmation hearing excuse me um you would have seen countless tweets from activists um and reporter not necessarily reporters but like culture writers saying this is 53 percent this is the 53 percent of white women that voted for donald trump yeah and absolutely like there were so many fire tweets <laughs> about Susan Collins. It was amazing. Yeah. Did you see did you see the picture of Susan Collins and the two white women behind them? Like the axis of evil? <laughs> I didn't see that one. No, no, no. So so Susan Collins made her speech from the floor of the Senate. Um and behind her she had uh, Shelley Moore, Senators Shelley Moore Capito and uh, Senator Hyde Smith sitting behind her, um, which are not the seats that they're usually in. And someone screen capped it and said, if anyone needs a Halloween costume, these women voting against their own interests and in the interest of every woman in America is pretty much the scariest thing I've seen in a while. Sorry. So just basically dress up as a conservative white woman for Halloween and you'll be terrifying. To whom <laughs> is my question? Well, I mean, fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Th- like, I think that we so deeply want or wanted Susan Collins to be a hero again after the whole Obamacare or the ACA repeal votes that uh, we were like, oh, my God, she's going to do it like. We've been lobbying her. We've been saying that we're going to raise money to give to her opponent um, in her next election. Da 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 da. All of these things, and people have been sharing. People literally spoke to her that morning and shared their stories of sexual assault. Yeah, 
in person in her yeah. office. She's yeah. like, oh, well, okay. And I think people so deeply believe that they were connecting with her and she was like, ah, fuck you. Yeah, that's, I think that is the micro, the micro betrayal. I think that's the individual betrayal. Mm. Um, Susan Collins, I'm not surprised by the way she voted. I know that a lot of people had hope. I had very little because, you know, the way she was talking around she I, I felt like she was stringing us along when she already had made up her mind mm-hmm. and the fact that you got to be some type of evil like s- to listen to those heart those heart gut-wrenching stories and still be like well you know my political future is more important than you bitches like that's basically what she said in that vote. Yeah. Well, she said many things in that vote. Yeah. But um, Susan Collins, uh, but she's not up for re-election until 2020. Yeah. So she can, she, I, I'm sure in her political There's calculation. There's a Kickstarter that has raised over $2 million. I saw that. You know, did you see Susan Rice's tweet? No. Oh, okay. So I'm going to pull it up. I think that... Um, this goes back to something I said last in last week's episode about how the whole the whole situation and this goes back to our conversation in this week in feminism about you know progress on the me too movement and not believing women and why it's so hard to believe women uh for some people and it gets to the point where like cool like if you're not going to believe women you're just telling them that they're worthless and like you're going to or you're going to believe her but then not really and you're just telling women that they just don't matter. Yep. That their stories don't matter. That they are worthless and not worth being concerned about. So someone asked who wants to run for Senate in Maine. There will be an army of supporter of supporters with you. And Susan Rice said me. Nice. And it's been retweeted 33,000 times. Wow. Yeah. So, and then I was like, you're in Maine? <laughs> oh i mean she's got a couple years to get there yeah but if there's anybody who can run against susan collins the battle of the seasons oh my god because you know that's how they'll they'll frame it like it's a grudge match Mm -hmm. of course of course because more clicks um but yeah I just I I think that it's just very important to now we have to learn now that we're all dazed and and confused. I didn't want to use that bro term, but, you know, it just kind of came out. Um, I think it's very important to know where this comes from. And so I think for women, we really have to start acknowledging our deference to men. Number one. And number two, our our internal deep-seated need to be accepted by men. Yeah, and I think that that was very clearly on display during Christine Blasey Ford's testimony. Yeah. Where she was trying to, like, be very polite and not ruffle any feathers. Yeah. And was trying to, like, break tension by making jokes about, oh, can I get a coffee or can I get a... Yeah. Yeah. A break or yeah. something. Yeah, exactly. She 
played the nice girl very well. But I think I'm not saying that there's something wrong with her doing that. I thought that was the right strategy mm-hmm. for her. And I'm not saying that that even was a strategy for her. That could be just Look, her. Absolutely. But it's 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 definitely the way that that she was probably raised. And those things come out in different ways. So it could be anything from, you know, um, listening to your husband and what he has to say and taking his um, his advice or his word above and beyond, um, you know, maybe your own or whatever or whatever female is in the room Mm -hmm. or whatever it could be as simple as that to obviously the other end of the spectrum is just abusive so you know I think we as women have a lot of work to do and I think that's what underpins the whole aversion to feminism men have have described feminism as like you know some shrill crazy hysteria Mm -hmm. of women and that is just to keep us in place yeah well now there is a white woman kind of piece to this which is i do believe that white women because they're so close they're like second in line to the throne of, of white supremacy tend to vote along and and behave along white supremacist lines because they think at some point they'll get a nod. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that's the other part that I want to put out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so my rent and receipts this week is, uh, we're going to go on a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, <laughs> thank God. Am I right? <laughs> Listen, we're not going to talk about sexual assault right now. We are going to talk about how uh, HBO is potentially upping its on-screen and off-screen representation of Asian Americans with a comedy called K-Town. Um, the project is described as a dark comedy about the eccentric Los Angeles neighborhood of Koreatown and the Kingpin, Kingpin family at the center of it. I don't know that I didn't know that I could say Kingpin very well. Um, I mess up Smith, so I have really nothing to stand on. <laughs> I also said protest. <laughs> cool. Prostate. <laughs> um, so the project comes from Jason Kim, a producer on HBO's Barry, which I have not yet watched, but I heard is amazing. Yeah. I, okay, yeah, okay, I'm seeing that. Okay, I know what this is about. Okay, go. <laughs> um, and he also worked on Girls and Netflix's Love, and uh, actress and writer Greta Lee from Chant and Inside Amy Schumer is also involved. Um, so basically, Greta Lee will be would be um, Yumi Kang, a self-described quote-unquote Brentwood Barbie, who reconnects with her embarrassing roots to become a powerful Korean American woman. Um, she had a recurring part on Girls' second and third seasons. Um, anyway, so the show is in development. And it would be the first HBO show centered on Asian Americans and just one of a handful across TV with um, ABC's Fresh Off the Boat being the most prominent current example. Um, This also comes on the heels of the hugely successful Crazy Rich Asians over the summer. 
It's made more than $220 million worldwide and only was had a budget of approximately $30 million. And it's also been tagged as the what the most successful rom-com in like 10 or 12 years yeah i find it interesting that um that crazy rich asians i remember when they said the rom-com was dead like last year or whatever the year before and crazy rich asians come along and just blew that theory out of the water yeah and which is kind of which is hella exciting because first of all you know a good rom-com is hard to find. Sure. It it's hard to not be cheesy in a rom-com. Yes. Yes. And that's why I like Jennifer Lopez as a as an actress. I love Jennifer Lopez rom-com yeah. movies. Yeah. Her rom-com movies, like she could laugh at herself. Mm-hmm. That was just the best thing. Mm-hmm. So her rom-com movies are the best, even if they're not like highly, even if they didn't take in a lot of money. Like I think that she is great in them. That's yes, her niche. Absolutely. Yeah. Love Made in Manhattan. Yeah. Like a lot. There was one where she was pregnant recently and she had just met the guy. She had an artificial insemination. I can't remember okay. the name of it. Anyway. Um, and, you know, a Latina lead. Right. Yeah. So I'm starting to wonder if like white people just got boring. <laughs> well, yeah. So ABC is also developing two other projects by Asian Americans, a comedy um, and then a drama called Ohana. Um, so those will be hitting, I guess, network television in, the, I don't know, maybe the spring or next fall. So that's super awesome that there's more Asians being put on screen. And like, yes, I think this 2018 was definitely the year of the, visible minority movie and television show yeah maybe not necessarily television show but definitely movies mm-hmm. i would maybe art television show because you've got to all the boys i've loved before which feature, features a korean family right or half korean children um and i think that rom-coms kind of fell off because it was the same tired tropes and women just looked so useless all the time and we just got past those ideas mm-hmm. as we kind of became more progressive and right. oh, like a dumb ditzy blonde like isn't funny anymore right we want someone who's a little bit more earnest and is complex so the lack of representation probably held rom-coms back. absolutely okay yeah because so you- there's a cost in other words to not having representation in the various stages of development and promotion and distribution. Hmm. Look at that. (laughs) But even if you go to like the first kind of big rom-com of this year from Netflix, uh, take it. What was it? The one it's on Netflix with Lucy Liu. I love Lucy Liu, by the way. Yeah. Um, I'm glad she's, you know, here. Yeah. She's great. It was called the Why Can't Set It Up. I really liked it. It was very enjoyable. Is, uh, is that a movie or a show? It's a movie on Netflix. Really? Yeah. How did I miss that? Super cheesy. 100% cheesy. Also, Tay Diggs is in it. How did I miss this? Tay Diggs and Lucy Liu as a love interest. Oh. I mean, How did to I watch the movie. This? It's super good. Super cheesy. But like, she wasn't dumb. She wasn't dumb. She was powerful. And the other two, like, white characters in it were both kind of dumb. 
So they were secondary. Who? The white people? Mm-hmm. No. The Lucy Liu and Tate Diggs were secondary, but like also not. Mm. It's hard to explain. Okay. But like everyone was kind of dumb and oblivious. Mm-hmm. And like the t- the tropes were weren't there was, you know, the the meat cute, but like it wasn't stupid. And it was just like light and fluffy enough that it was enjoyable. But then you've got to all the boys I've loved before where it's very earnest. It's very I heard it's good. Yeah, it's very good. Um Yeah. You know, there's some movies I'm sure are good, like that one, and then there's like I the ones that I can't believe are good, like a star is born. I, I just I can't bring myself to go see that. With Bradley Cooper. I've heard mixed things. On yeah, I feel like. From like real people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like. Mm, yeah. I already don't like Bradley Cooper. Mm. Just because he's. He's. He's a typical white guy. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you bringing to the table? Yes. Um, I will say that, like, I think it's great that ABC, HBO and networks are creating creating and then possibly green lighting these shows but i also don't want to see just stories about asian families like i think the korea towns one sounds very interesting and explain because so like okay so fresh off the boat is about an asian family korea town would be about an asian family ohana um is literally family in Hawaiian. Oh, I see. There's um, like a, a type. Then, of so like, why, why do, why do we have to only show Asians as families? Right. Why does it have to be a show about only Asians? Why can't we just have more Asians on uh, other things? So why, why, why does it like, yeah. you know, why can't we just have, I said to a group of, uh, in like a group chat with some friends from back home from Vancouver, people I used to work with and it's half Asian people, half white people. And I was like, you know what? Like our group of friends would be an interesting TV show. You put, you remake friends, but with non-white people mm-hmm. or with people of different races, because that's a real life scenario. Yeah. And then you get into the cross cultural things of like white people, not understanding Asian culture or black culture and the, you know, history of racism between black people and Asian people. Mm -hmm. And you can, there's a lot of really like deep issues that you can talk about there and it can also be funny, Mm -hmm. but we're not there yet. We still view, you know, we still view Asians as like a one fairly one dimensional. Right. Right. So, in other words, instead of infu- like Asians just populating just all stories and not necessarily as a secondary character or or, or some type of, um, you know, projection of of white ideas of Asians mm. that yeah, like why can't we just have more Killing Eves where it's yeah. just Sandra Oh and every everything yeah, and I, that's put Lucy Liu on more shows, right. So, okay, so this is what I like about Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu was one of the first major actresses, mm-hmm. major Asian actresses, who was not sort of typecast in this um, yes. submissive role, I would say. 
Because she was in Ally yes. McBeal and Payback and all that. That, yes. She At was least, never put as a submissive role, but she was always put as a sex pot. That's the other issue. She was always as like a mysterious, like Asian, you know sexy what? character. You know what? I feel like that is the only way that women can, like of color, can find equality, sort of, or get closer to equality in... Um, in movies and television and entertainment is if they become sexually attractive to white men. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a lot. Like, it's really funny because like growing up, um, a lot of my like friends from Asia, Mm -hmm. they would be like, Oh, like who do you think they'd ask people, white people? They'd be like, Oh, like who do you think is like the best looking, like most beautiful like asian actor and they'd be like oh lucy lu and all the people from asia would be like oh yeah she's white person chinese attractive Mm, yeah 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 we have the same conversations yeah 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 it's like oh i love halle berry well yeah because she's yeah, half Lu- white. Yeah, and Lucy Liu's <laughs> got double eyelids, and she like, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, I get that. She's got yeah. that like light porcelain skin. Right, right. She's from New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally, totally get that. Square jaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, we're unpacking some shit today. Um, yeah, that's true. It's true because. On the flip side, you get the um, the women with the black women with the so-called quote unquote good hair, mm-hmm. um, which is more like white hair. Uh, the mixed ones, the like I said, the Halle Berries. You don't really hear as much about the Gabrielle Unions who are mm. dark skin black yeah. women. Gorgeous as fuck. Or the Kelly Rowlands. Everybody loves Beyonce and Rihanna, yeah. right? And it's because they're... Because they're fair people and Rihanna has mm-hmm. light eyes. You know what I mean? Even though, like, don't get me wrong. Rihanna's black as fuck. Like, I'm not saying it. I'm not disparaging yeah. her. I'm just saying that I find that the greater society finds um, women of color, especially sexier and more palatable if they're whiter. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I just had to put it out there because what's obvious to us may not be obvious to everybody. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But like also like put Constance Wu in literally everything. I mean, she has a TV show, so maybe don't put her in another TV show because yeah. she can't do that. But like put her in all the movies. She's great. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. Put John Cho in everything. In everything. Yeah. And it's like. Also, go see Searching. Great movie. Searching. It's the John Cho one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was on, um, was it Keep It? I think it was. Think John was- Cho? No, John M. Chu was. Oh. Mm. See, me and names. I, I just, whatever. I, <laughs> I John will- M. Chu was the director of Crazy Rich Asians. Right. John Cho is the guy who was in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. Okay. Okay. It, this is all coming together now. Okay, mm. yes. Yes, the director of Crazy Rich Asians was on Keep It. Put Asians in all the things and not just things about Asian families. And, you know, don't fulfill your quota, I think, is the idea. Like, don't just tick a box. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, 
It's just, it's not acceptable in 2018 going yeah. into 2019. Um, it's just, no. Yeah. Anyway, um, you guys follow us on social media, on Twitter, at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram, at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook, slash Bad and Beat Podcast, and email us, badandbeatpod at gmail.com. Bye! Bye. 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 Bye.